Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. What is up, Flip Upon Am I? Welcome to episode 58 of the Flipside Podcast. Last episode, episode 57, if you missed it, Chase and I talked about critical race theory. There's a buzzword for you, critical race theory. We also talked about white supremacy, white privilege. We hit on all the buzzwords. So check it out. It was a unique conversation. It's one you definitely don't want to miss. Today, we are continuing the theme The current theme on the podcast of talking about controversial issues, talking about issues that divide the church, talking about tough issues. So today, I'm going to be interviewing Rob Dixon on his new book, Together in Ministry, Women and Men in Flourishing Partnerships. Rob is an Associate Regional Ministry Director with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and is Senior Fellow for Gender Partnership with the InterVarsity Institute. He is an adjunct professor at Fresno Pacific University and Fuller Theological Seminary and provides training on flourishing mixed-gender ministry partnerships for numerous organizations around the country. So we're going to hop into the interview here in a few minutes. I will set that up a little bit more about the topic and why we're talking about it uh, here in a minute. But before I do that, I want to tell you a couple of things. One, as I give you this intro, I have been enjoying the effects of my Angry Brew coffee. So shout out to Angry Brew for sponsoring the flip side. You can pick yourself up a bag of Angry Brew or Chris's Blend over at fivelakes.com or angrybrew.com. Use the promo code FLIP and you'll get 10% off your order and you will be doing us a solid as you will be thanking Angry Brew for their sponsorship of this show. Also, big thanks to those of you that have left reviews on iTunes for the flip side. I have read them. They warm my soul. I am very appreciative. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I threw out a little little contest, a little fun, a little Christmas, a little Christmas gift from me to you. Anyone who leaves a review on iTunes between now and Christmas gets put into a drawing to score yourself some free Flipside swag. So we have all kinds of amazing swag with the Flipside logo or Bible verses or whatever it might be on it. You can check those out in the show notes. You can also choose some Angry Brew coffee instead of swag if you'd like. So all I'm asking is that you leave a review for the show on iTunes. There are instructions on how to do that in the show notes. That helps the show get noticed by others who are browsing for podcasts. And let's be real, it just encourages me. I read them and I go, huh, I think I'll keep doing the Flipside podcast. <laughs> so thank you so much to those who have 
who have uh, left already, and we'll see. We'll see how many things we give out. I'll probably just base it on how many, how many uh, for the drawing, how many reviews we get, and then we'll give an amount of prizes out in proportion uh, to that. So, uh, with that, I, I gave you I gave you Rob's uh, bio. So we're going to jump into the interview here in a minute. But I th- let me, let me talk a little bit about the topic uh, before we do. So, uh, women in ministry, women in ministry leadership. Uh, Rob's book is called Together in Ministry. It's it's primarily about men and women working together in ministry. And this is a topic, and I, I talk about this a little bit in the interview. But just my my personal background with it. This is a topic. Uh, hermeneutically, this is how we interpret the Bible. I have just gone back and forth on like a seesaw. I've lost a lot of sleep, just very candidly speaking to you. I feel like I can make a very solid, a rel- I should say a relatively solid biblical argument for the complementarian side and a relatively solid biblical argument for the egalitarian side. What I really feel like is whichever boat I'm in, um, I, I can poke holes in that boat. So I, I, feel, I feel like I'm able to poke biblical holes in the egalitarian view, and I'm able to poke biblical holes in the complementarian view. And what, what, I, what I hope to do somewhat with this issue is to help hum, humble us, bring, bring some humility. I want to help muddy the waters. So Rob is an egalitarian, uh, and, I, and I share this in the interview, so some of this will be on repeat. Uh, but I'm planting a church, an egalitarian church, an egalitarian denomination, uh, the Evangelical Covenant. And let me define some of these words because we use complementarian a lot, egalitarian a lot. You, you wouldn't know what those words mean um, unless you were in these sort of theological conversations. Uh, complementarian means essentially that only men can be elders and pastors in a church. And sometimes you'll see a little nuance with that where only men maybe can be elders, but women could still have a pastor role of some kind. But primarily it means only men can be elders and pastors, women cannot. And then an egalitarian uh, view would be that women and men can equally be pastors and elders in the church. That's the practicality of it. The word complementarian comes from the idea that the roles of men and women in scripture uh, is to complement each other, that men have one role and women have another, uh, but that they complement each other. So, so that uh, they're, they're, um, when, when you put them together, it's, it's one whole kind of, kind of thing. Uh, and then the egalitarian would be that they have, they, they do not have different roles. That I, maybe I'm, I'm putting words in the mouth of egalitarians there, but essentially it is equality across the board, which is, which is why uh, they can hold the offices of elder and pastor. So uh, this is a long preface because this is a really, to me, a very complex issue. I know, honestly, I know for some of you that are egalitarians, you, you go, this isn't complex at all. This is, this is uh, as black and white as it comes. And some of you that are complementarians go, this isn't complex at all. This is as black and white as it comes. What I hope at the very least that this interview does is muddies the water a little bit for you and humbles, humbles you a little bit to, to be able to look across the aisle, particularly if you're a complementarian, to look across the aisle and go, okay, maybe those egalitarians really are Christians. Maybe they really are brothers and sisters in Christ of mine. Uh, and, and to hear some of the 
the biblical rationale for as as well as uh, practical but but I know as a complementarian you care about the biblical rationale of this view and so to show some of that and let me say this too I talked to Rob a little bit about the interview before we started, and I, I have some questions. I, I have my own. So so real quick, I grew up complementarian. The church I planted in Lansing, we started out complementarian. I read Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. Uh, that book convinced me to become egalitarian. We switched the governance of the church. Uh some people left the church because we switched, because we were no longer biblical in their mind, and, and they were upset, and that hurt, and that was hard. Uh, a few years later, uh, we there was a, a staff member that, to me, gave a strong biblical case. I, I'm, I'm not even going to get into it here. I will in a future episode, uh, but a, a case that I went, huh, Blue Parakeet book didn't talk about that. I don't really know how to reconcile that. And so it brought us, I would say, into a complementarian hybrid sort of view, but essentially, uh, you know, we, we switched. We switched our governance uh, in, in a way where only men could be elders and uh, women could be pastors. And I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm just telling you some of this crazy history with me. And so we made people mad again. And, and uh, partic- particularly some women in the church were very hurt uh, by that by that view when, when we articulated it in writing. And we didn't do that well uh, either. And so we lost people then that that, <laughs> that left the church. So we lost people on both sides. Uh, and, and now I've just continued to done work on this and, and open to the spirit. And I'm trying to listen to both sides. And so as I've planted a church with the evangelical covenant, I am egalitarian now. Uh, we will have women pastors at our church and and pastors and preachers and elders and all of the above and I talk some with uh, about my my view of that with Rob that is not to say that there aren't still sort of head scratcher scriptures to me where I go huh and as Rob and I talked in advance of the interview um, this is not an, a type of interview that's meant to uh, I, I don't I typically don't bring people on the show to try to put them on a hot seat and <laughs> try to post them up, so to speak. I think that's a basketball term, uh, but you know, try to give them all these zingers and things like that. Um, I do though say, I think this is a, a, the start of a conversation on this show. And I, um, if you have even people that you've um, maybe egalitarians that, that you feel like are, are rich in the, the sort of hermeneutics in the text and you, you want me to ask some zingers too, let me know. Uh, and if you have some, some complementarians that you, you want that you think handle this subject well, uh, let me know and, and it could be something I can reach out to them uh, for, for an interview. So you can always email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net podcast at beyondthebattle.net. Uh, so uh at, at the end of the show today, we'll, we're going to do the interview. Uh, we're going to save all of the, the silliness uh, for the end of the show. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do Noah's rant um, you know, at the end and all those sorts of things. So for now, I was, I'm, I'm reading through the mailbag right now. I'm just giving you I'm, – I'm reading through the mailbag. We have mail uh, in the mailbag, but I'm going to save it for the next episode. So we'll save that mail, and if you want to add to the mailbag, you can email – uh, podcast at 
beyondthebattle.net. But this conversation with Rob is super good, super helpful. Uh, again, I, I, I just I, I ask you to listen to it with open ears. I think some of you will be, again, saying, yeah, that's right. This is so obvious. Some of you, it's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge some of your um, some of your views. I told Rob, I, I think probably half my audience is complementarian and half is egalitarian. And so just know that I did the interview uh, with that in mind. So, so sit back, allow yourself to be challenged. And this will be the, the start of a conversation uh, on this episode or on this episode, on the flip side, feel free to contribute via the mailbag if you'd like. And uh, let's go. Let's jump into this conversation with Rob Dixon. All right. Well, Rob, we are so thankful to have you on the flip side. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Welcome. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, hey, let's jump into Together in Ministry. There's a decent amount of books out there, I think, about not maybe not a lot, um, but there's there's books that have been written about men and women in ministry. And, uh, I'm, you know, you did a, a dissertation on this subject. I'm sure you read them all. Uh, let us know uh, what fueled you, what fueled your research into this and uh, what what fueled you to write Together in Ministry. Yeah, well, there's a lot of books written out there on the topic of women in leadership from a theological perspective. But what I discovered when I did my lit review and my doctoral work was that there's actually relatively few written about the topic of men and women working alongside one another in ministry. Mm -hmm. So one of the first ones was Becoming Colleagues by Carol Becker. And then the next one that was sort of seminal would be uh, Equal to the Task by Ruth Haley Barton. Those came out in the early 2000s, somewhere in there. Um, in terms of what fueled me to do this, I think it's just my experience, 25 years in ministry, and I've worked alongside women that whole time. I've been supervised by women. I've been, I've supervised women. I've had women as peers. And all along the way, there's been this curiosity of what makes these working partnerships fruitful and successful and effective, and can we do that? Can we do a better job of that? And so that's what sort of propelled me into this doctoral work. All right. So I think there's kind of two, two for me, when I look at this subject, there's sort of two veins we can go in, and I think we'll touch both. One of them is is sort of the, the practical the practical side of things. One of them is the biblical side of things. You know, there's texts and stuff that are kind of these these hang up verses. And so we'll kind of, I think, get to both. Uh, I, I share, let me share a little bit about my background with this subject. It's a bit unique. Uh, so I, that that I've I've kind of gone back and forth on this subject. It's one I've lost a lot of sleep over um, because I, I I don't want to end up at, at the end of the day. Uh, not not that I don't think. Let me just say this. Um, what I observe is complementarians look at egalitarians and say that they are unbiblical. And often I think egalitarians look at complementarians and say you know they're sexist. And complementarians are going, well, we're just trying to follow the Bible. And egalitarians are saying, we're following the Bible too. And so it's just, it just can be, it can be for me as a pastor and a church planter where I've had a little bit of freedom to kind of try to figure these things out. Uh, I've lost a lot of sleep over this, uh, over this subject and have gone, have gone back and forth. So let me just start with some of the, uh, complementarians that might be listening, I'd say my audience is probably 50-50, I would guess. I would kind of, I think so. Um, so currently I'm uh, planting an egalitarian church in an egalitarian denomination. Uh, we're going to have women pastors, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Uh, but what, just kind of 
what's your first answer to egalitarians that point to, I'm sorry, I said that the wrong way, when complementarians point to egalitarians and say, you're just not being biblical. Like, yeah, that that's nice if we could go in that direction, but the Bible just doesn't allow for that. Uh, where do you start in that conversation? Yeah, good question. I mean, first of all, I'd say let's open the Bible and have a conversation. Yeah, it's good. Which may be too simple, but that's, I, I think, the place to start. I think many people, um, and I, this came out in the research a little bit, Noah, so many people have a theology that is that's more informed by the prevailing wind of whatever context they've been in than it is by the actual study in the scripture. So one of the points I make in the book is that I frankly think everyone, anyone listening to this podcast would benefit from more theological reflection on this topic and probably a few others. And one of the, one of the recommendations I make in the book is can our churches be, um, be forthright and thoughtful about creating safe, well-curated spaces to do that theological reflection. I think I think our people would benefit if we created more spaces like that for this topic, women in leadership, and then for any other topic as well. So, when you uh, when you you frame the book, I would I would say your uh, your Genesis vision of gender equality is kind of one that you come back to time and time again. Can you yeah. sort of uh, can you break that down for us? And would you say would you say that uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth? I feel like that's um, maybe the most helpful starting point for for the egalitarian view, or at least for together in ministry. Can you just kind of uh, explain that. What it, what what are you talking about? The Genesis vision of gender equality. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, I'd say that um, when we talk about women in leadership or men and women in partnership, um, we'd be well served to study the whole of Scripture on that topic, right? So so often that conversation majors on one or two texts, often the ones in Paul, um, and those are important texts and they they deserve you know attention, but. But I think the whole of Scripture has something to say here, and so that's probably my first, um, you know, my first go-to when it comes to these theological explorations: is can we talk more holistically in the Scriptures from beginning to end? And so, yeah, for me, Genesis one has a huge voice and a part to play in the conversation about women in leadership and men and women in partnership. And when I look at Genesis one, Noah, I mean, a couple things stand out. Number one, both men and women bear the image of God, so it's not like Adam has, you know, 90% of the image of God mm. or even 51% of the image of God. Adam and Eve together bear the image of God. And to me, it's a bit of a mystery. Like, how does all that work? But what I can say is that it seems to me that women and men together steward the image of God. And that's just a, a wonder, I think. And I tell my students in the classes I teach that that reality that we all bear the image of God is really the cornerstone to treating everyone with dignity and worth and value because we're created in God's image. And then the second thing from Genesis 1, kind of right after that, is, you know, Adam and Eve, the first humans, are jointly called to steward God's creation. Be fruitful and multiply, uh, have dominion, the text says. And um, again, it's not like there's any evidence of roles there. So it's like, Adam, you direct this process and Eve, you come alongside and support Adam in this process. It's just the command is given to them together. Fill the, you know, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. And so those are two bedrock for me, bedrock ways of thinking about this topic of women and men in partnership. In the beginning, in God's Genesis vision, there's equality in, in all of that. 
So what do we do as as you're talking, you know, about Genesis and this this vision of equality? Uh, we then, you know, fast forward to this squirrely guy, Paul, and it, it you know, Paul, it's, it's, I feel like there's these black eyes in the church and thinking of, uh, we talked a little bit before this about Scott McKnight's book, The Blue Parakeet, and his, uh, that whole title of his book is, is interesting because he, he, for, for those that haven't read it, I, I believe he was looking out his back porch window and he sees a blue parakeet in his bush, you know, in his front yard or backyard and he says, that's not supposed to be here. And then he kind of equated that to a lot of these Bible verses and that are blue parakeets. And uh, we, we kind of go, huh, that, that doesn't feel like it belongs. And we often don't know what to do with it. And frankly, a lot of the stuff Paul says about women, uh, they, can, they can fall into that category. If you, if you were to just pick the Bible up, if you were a non-believer and you'd never... You weren't familiar with the Bible, and you didn't know anything about hermeneutics. You'd read some of these verses and go, "Huh, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission." Uh, hmm, I don't think I like this book <laughs> very much, right? So again, I I don't expect you to answer all of these kind of huge million dollar questions about some of these. Uh, I I don't know. I I think of them as they they can feel like black eyes to the Bible sometimes, but blue parakeet verses. Uh, but just. To touch on it, you know, as as briefly or at length as you'd like, what what do we do with with some of these instructions that Paul gives uh, to churches? And and uh, you know, readers can look them up. I don't I don't need to go. I'm sorry, listeners. I don't need to go through all of them on the on the podcast. But uh, essentially, these verses that silence women, that tell women uh, can't have authority over a man. You know, these sorts of things. What do you what do you do with those? Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, I'll go back to what I just said. So I, I try to read them in the whole of the scripture. I mean, I, I think the way to put it would be the scripture should be like a symphony where all the parts are playing in like harmony. <laughs> I've been, I've had kids and I love my kids, but I've had them in band and at elementary school band. And if you go to one of those performances, <laughs> it doesn't sound that great, yeah. right? People are off pitch or whatever, playing off beat. And uh, that's not what the scripture is like. The scripture, it should, should flow together and it should be this beautiful harmony throughout, right? And so, um, so that's the first thing. I'll go back to that. So whatever, however you read Genesis 1 should be consistent with how you read the life of Jesus around women in leadership with Paul's practice. And then with, yeah, the ver- verses you're talking about, the blue par- parakeet passages or the clobber passages as they get called sometimes. <laughs> so, so it all should play in harmony, right? Um, so I think for me, the in talking about a text like First Timothy two, I'm going to ask the question: how how does that juxtapose with how Jesus treated women, or even Paul, the writer of well, disputed, but many people say wrote First Timothy two. Like how did do, how does First Timothy two factor into Paul's praxis? And if you look at yeah. a passage like Romans sixteen, there's this ample evidence, and I talk a lot about this in my book, a few examples, but that Paul had had partnership with women as a routine part of his work, right? Whether we're talking about Priscilla or Phoebe or any of these women who Paul worked alongside, I think they'd be shocked to read First Timothy two, maybe, right? <laughs> so, so it's so it has to all harmonize, right, with Paul's practice. And on top of that, Noah, I mean, his theology, its theological statement in Galatians three twenty eight, which there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus, right? Which is a you know, a seminal text, I think, in terms of thinking not just about who can be saved, but also how do we relate with one another, right? And so 
whatever First Timothy 2 means, it has to square with the implications of Genesis, or sorry, Galatians 3. So in terms of the text itself, if I pick a passage like First Timothy 2, um, it's got to fit in that larger context, number one. Number two, I think we would do well to say that First Timothy 2 is a challenging text to interpret. Mm-hmm. Can I put it that way? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a challenging text to interpret. I don't know if Peter had that particular passage in mind, but there's this passage in Peter. Uh, I think it's in 2 Peter 3. He says, so also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you concerning the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all of his letters. And then this, this is the key line. He says, there are some things in them hard to understand. <laughs> and I think if nice. it's good enough for Peter, yeah, yeah probably tr- for us as well. So, so I think that's the first thing is to realize that 1 Timothy 2 is a challenging verse, uh, chapter to understand. So people major a lot on verse 12, but verse 15, which says women shall be saved through childbearing, that to me, boy, that's the most challenging text to interpret in that whole passage. So we want to be careful, I think, to not build a theology on top of a passage that's so disputed that yeah. so much ink has been spilled on that text. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I love. Uh, the, I mean, I can, I can keep going, but no, it's good. Okay. No, I, I love. First of all, I love the symphony metaphor, and I'm totally going to steal that. So as long, <laughs> I'm I'm telling you in advance, I'm going to steal that. Because yep. uh, yeah, I've thought about that. I, I've I've come up with like I know. You know, you can take, you can draw something on a piece of wax paper and draw something on another piece, and you kind of have to put them over top of each other. And it's like, oh, that's we we have to include all of these scriptures in, and it's like it's not either or; it's it's all of the above. It's both and. Yeah. And so, anyway, the symphony metaphor is way better. I really like that a lot. Thank you. Um, sure. and, and yeah, I I think um, for for me, as I've wrestled intensely with this, I think one really where I hang my hat at the end of the day, well, and we'll get into the practicality of it, which is, the, I think, the strongest. Uh, we'll get to that next, just, just some of the abuses that have happened as a result of the kind of this strict complementarian view. Um, but Paul makes ton, or I, I should say, when you look at just the New Testament itself, there's lots of exceptions made to these, if, if these, so again, the argument, uh, you bring it out in your book and, and it's, uh, I first read it in McKnight's Blue Parakeet. It's that these commands, um, they were, I can't think of the, the word. You can help me out with it. Um, they were te- temporary. They were, they, were, they were for that instance. They were for that specific church and what was going on in that church. They were not for all people for all times. And it's, you know, we talk about how women were not educated. And so when they, and, and there was these false teachings going on in the church. And so, when a woman's told to uh, ask her questions at home, it was because her husband would have been educated and it was interrupting the service and all these sorts of things. And I get that a complementarian can kind of go, oh yeah, sure, sure, you can say that, you know, kind of raise their eyebrows and say, you're just saying that because that's what you want the text to mean. But I, I, I come back and where I fall is like, we see many areas where women were not silent in the church, just looking at the book of Acts. Sure. Uh, we see women that are prophesying. We see women that are you know praying we see women that are that are leading and so you go well they they weren't silent in the church and that in and of itself tells me if this was for all people for all time then those churches and acts would all be very unbiblical and that says oh okay well that's not a contradiction that just says that that's that that didn't mean for all people for, for all times and that's something that's helped me a lot is these uh within paul's life itself you got this guy writing 
this thing that seems to contradict with this thing here and you go okay well if if it was good enough for him to have women prophesying in the church then it's it's good enough for me uh and and, and that definitely changes i think the meaning of the verse that at first glance yeah it yes. might it might seem to indicate you know for, for all time for all people so that's sure. just been something that's helped me a lot i don't know yeah yeah agreed i mean I, i'm yeah fully agree with all you just said i mean to me a passage like first timothy 2 um fee and stewart in their book how to read the bible for all it's worth which i think is a core book for people who want to interpret the scriptures well along with blue care blue parakeet fee and stewart talk about historical particularity and eternal relevance and apologies that this gets a bit nerdy but i would say a verse like first timothy 2 12 has both it has historical particularity so in that case in that situation as best we can tell the women of the church in ephesus were were sharing false teaching they've been instructed in false teaching they were then reiterating that repeating that in the assembly and so paul had to tell them to 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 listen and to learn at home i would also say that verse actually has um sort of eternal relevance as well though so what and what i mean by that noah is to me it's good leadership if there is a group a faction of people within the congregation who is is saying something that's incorrect or not true to the scriptures a good leader would say to their protege this is paul to timothy we need to stop that we need to silence them right so sometimes i use the analogy if i'm working with a group i work with university christian fellowship college ministry if I'm speaking to a group of people, if I'm coaching a staff worker, InterVarsity staff, who's leading an, an InterVarsity community on campus, and the sophomores in that group are saying something heretical, then I'm going to say those sophomores need to muzzle it, yeah. <laughs> listen and learn, and then come back, right? So I think it's good leadership. So I would say, yes, there's historical particularity. There is, in my view, in First Timothy 2, some degree of eternal relevance. It's good leadership to stamp out false teaching so that, and this is Paul's concern above all else, right? Even above his own life, Paul's concern is that the gospel would go forward, um, you know, un, un, unfiltered, untweaked, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's well said. So let's talk about some of the, just the practicalities of this over the course of, you know, generations now. Uh, but just, we, you know, what what happens to women? And, and Ruth writes about this in the in the foreword of the book, you know, quite a bit, which is which is really helpful. Uh, but just in your in your words and your experience, what what happens to women in the church when they are told that I mean, at, at best, you can't be a pastor or elder. Um, but at at worst, you know this th- this idea of you can't have authority over a man. It's really stretched out to uh, you can't teach, you can't, you know, you you can't lead, you can't do anything except you know children's ministry or or whatever it might be. Just what is that? What has that done to women? What has that done? Uh, what has that done to the church? Yeah, uh, lots, <laughs> lots of implications. We're talking about 2,000 years of history here. Um, I mean, certainly there are women, Noah, that, that hold a complementarian view. So there's, for some women, this is the way it should be, right, for sure. But there are other women who have lived in a complementarian system for whom um, the experience is one of persistent and consistent marginalization, right? So to be to have it said to you multiple times that you can't exercise 
your gifts in every context to say, to have it said to you that your calling is uh, not welcome here. So, and I think over time, um, that experience of marginalization can result in women opting out of the church, leaving the faith maybe altogether. It's just a continual, um, I'll quote Taylor Swift in honor of my kids, <laughs> death by a thousand cuts, I think mm -hmm. for women, right? And it's, you know, so for me, one of the things that motivates me to write a book like Together in Ministry is I feel like there's a justice issue here. Women have yeah. been treated unjustly for 2000 years in the church. And so I want to do my part, whatever I can do to try to overturn that because God is a God of justice. And I want to be true to that. The other thing I'd say, though, is um, what you asked about the implications for the church. I would make the case that our mission has not moved forward like it could have over time because women, by and large, have been relegated to the bench in so many areas of church life. And so, you know, with half the team on the bench, we're going to suffer when it comes yeah. to the mission. And so part of my reasoning for writing a book like Together Ministry is let's get that team, let's get everybody on the field, and then let's see what God does through us as we try to fulfill God's mission, which, as you know, is... I mean, the Great Commission, it's so broad and all-encompassing. We need all hands on deck. We need all gifts in play. We need all the callings to be manifest in the church. So um, let's try something different. Yeah. And I would challenge, uh, you know, complementarians who are listening, and I challenge you to pick up Together in Ministry and read it. And I just have this, I don't know, it's a blessing and a curse. I have an appreciation for both sides. Uh, I feel like I can poke holes in both sides if I want to. I, I lean towards egalitarian as far as, you know, biblically and practically. But I, I have some respect for the complementarian view and, and why they have it and things like that biblically. Uh, but I, my, I, I say that just to say for complementarians listening, I think it's um, I Well, you know, Rob, I think you don't have to agree with me on this. I I. I for, for me, I know for so, for someone like like Ruth, I'm f fairly good friends with her. I think she would say, "I want every complementarian to become an egalitarian, right?" And 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 100 of the form, and I bless that. And I, I think real realistically, not everybody's gonna become a egalitarian. And I would just say to those complementarians that even within the complementarian system and view, uh, women, even I would say using only the rules of complementarian biblical hermeneutics uh women should have been empowered way more than they have been sure. in the complementarian system and w whatever your complementarian church system is uh I, I promise you that like again not let's say you work at a church let's just be real most people aren't church planters that can just change their church bylaws like that uh, yeah. You might work in a church or attend a church. If you're a member, you know, you might be able to move uh, to another church. But if you work at a church, you, you may not be able to have that type of authority. But I, I would just I would just want to say this uh, for what it's worth that I just I've heard horror stories, frankly, about complementarian churches. Uh, certainly not all of them, but horror stories, some of them from Ruth, where women couldn't even be ushers, like handing out the offering plate. Women yeah. couldn't give communion. There's so women couldn't pray up at the stage. Women couldn't lead worship. And I, I mean, th these are just abuses within the complementarian view that have zero, I think, biblical basis, even within the complementarian view. So I don't know. I just I I like to give that, and I I think I can make a challenge to complementarian churches that 
even within complementarianism, uh, women can still preach in those churches. Um, and again, I'm egalitarian, and we're going to women elders and pastors, and I know complementarians don't go that far, but I still think there's things that you can do as a complementarian that would that would help. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like I need to say that. I don't know if you if you want to respond to that at all, Rob. But oh yeah, I mean, I think amen to that for sure. I mean, I would fit. I would put myself where you placed Ruth Haley Barton, which is I think. People should become egalitarians for sure, and I, I actually think uh, deep work in the scriptures will result in that. But but agreed. So in a complementarian context, um, we draw all kinds of lines, right? And I, I'd argue First Timothy two doesn't have all those lines. <laughs> so that's the that's part of the problem. First Timothy two is everybody interprets it differently uh, in terms of in a in my experience in a complementarian con- construct, and so. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's be as uh, welcoming and inviting of women as possible, you know, whatever the theological system. I mean, one more thing I'll say about this, Noah. I've seen complementarian contexts where women actually carry a lot of authority and influence without the title, and that's a problem. But yeah. then I've seen the opposite. So, an egalitarian system where women actually do not carry a lot right. of the so the gap between our theology and our practice, I think, is something we should try to close yeah. on either side. And it brings up a good challenge to churches that are egalitarian in name. Yep. And I've seen that where I look at it being I've lived in both worlds and I go, this church operates just like a complementarian yep. church. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. yeah the, Even the, yeah, Go ahead. Oh, the danger for us is, right, we've produced a beautiful position paper that articulates our egalitarian theology and it sits on the back on the table in the back of the church or on the website and then it has very little bearing on the day in day in reality, the lived reality of women in the congregation. So, so yeah, what does it look? That's my challenge for an egalitarian, and that's where together in ministry comes in. I hope yeah. is can we can we actually mesh our value and our practice? Can we bridge that gap? And let's talk about some of that, the practicality, right? Like if you live and if you live in a workforce outside of the church, if you work in the business world, and and you were to find out that the men in your company made twice as much money as the women for doing the same job. That would be outrageous. It would be lawsuits. It would be all this crazy stuff, right? And I get it. Back in the day, I don't know, 50 years ago, 40, 30 years ago maybe, that was cool. Like men men went to work and provided for the family and the women stayed home. That was pretty normal. But but now, I mean, most women are, are working and just just that, that's just not going to fly in yeah. any secular business. And when, when you look at the church, if, if, if you were to, you know, just, <laughs> if you were to do average pay of men versus women, it would be astronomically right in favor of men. And, and so I want, I, I want to really challenge complementarians to think about that uh, for, for a second. And, uh, and again, I, I've seen church structures where there's men on staff. So there's obviously men at the top of a complementarian organization, but then you have a, a church, but then you have a lot of these pastoral support roles and you have men who are called pastors and they're doing, you know, care work for the congregation. And you have women who are called something else, maybe directors, Director. right? And they're doing the same work. They're doing the same, just usually it's to women, adults, but they're doing the same care work. They're running the same small groups and they are not making what the men are making in that same role. In fact, many times they're part-time while the men are full-time with salary and benefits. And so 
We need to bring some of that up to say that's an injustice, just straight up, regardless of your theological view on this, that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And and maybe just to go off one little piece there, Noah, for me, this is a place where corporate America, and I say this in the book, corporate America is ahead of the church around some of this stuff. Corporate America has figured out that diversity helps the bottom line. Yeah. You know, the, the phrase that gets thrown around some, sometimes is diversity equals dollars, right? And so the idea is the more diverse your team is, whether that's ethnicity or gender or other metrics of diversity, the better the result is. And I mean, from where I'm sitting, the church should be setting the pace for that. We are the ones in Genesis 1 where God said, you too, fill the earth and subdue it, uh, have dominion. We are the ones that know, we should anyway, know deep in our bones that diversity equals not dollars in our case, but the mission of God expanding, right? Yeah. So I'd long to see the church not just catch up to corporate America, but pass corporate America and be a leader in this topic of uh, celebrating the glorious diversity in the body of Christ. Here's a practical one that hits close to home. I have three sure. daughters. I have three huh? daughters and no sons. So just three girls, that's it. I got, th- and uh, so I'm a pastor, you know, I'm a preacher and you know, it's funny because if if I were to have a, if I were to have had a son, a lot of times traditionally the son becomes a pastor like the dad sometimes, right? And even sometimes in certain traditions takes over the church of the dad and all these kind of things. So, so my daughter, uh, my my oldest, she just turned ten yesterday, actually, and happy birthday, she, happy birthday to her. And she's very smart and she loves Jesus. And it's actually kind of cool. She'll talk to me about how she's trying to. F- She's figuring out theology and she's using metaphors. And I'm like, those are great metaphors. That's what preaching is built on, really, is just yeah. me- metaphors that help us understand, you know, these truths. And she asked me once um, if she was allowed to become a pastor like me. And mm. I am, I'm telling you, Rob, I am so glad I didn't have to look at her and say, no, yeah. honey. No, you can't. Yeah. You you could marry one, but no, you can't. You can't use those gifts that God is is giving you. And 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 because and I want complimentar- complementarians to hear this. This has nothing to do with church polity and offices. This has to do with my daughter's love for Jesus. Uh-huh. This kindling flame. It's mm-hmm. it's it's igniting, and and the fire is starting. And if I were to say to her, no, because you're a woman, you are not allowed to be a pastor like your dad. I am telling you, she that would have crushed not only her and her value as a human being and, and, and as a woman, her, her, her sex, it would, it would have crushed her faith, this faith that God is, is kindling and brewing and, and growing into this beautiful thing. And I, I, I'm just, and then you look at that fast forward and into an adult, and you look at female pastors that are true to the gospel and true to scripture and are leading people to Jesus. And if they had stopped because they were told to stop, how, how many, they would have been so damaged, and how many people would never have come to faith? How many people would never have been affected by their ministry? So, anyway, that's just something that hits very yeah. close to home that I think I really want complementarians to wrestle with. And I, I, I'm telling you, if you could look at your daughter in the eye and say, No, honey, you can't do that because you're a girl, good luck. Good, I, I, 
I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love that. I think so so often these conversations are grounded in theology, rightly so. We should be talking about theology, philosophy of ministry, all of that, church polity. But it's helpful, I think, a story like that, Noah, helps to anchor this in the real life experience of people. I have three daughters also. Nice. And I ask myself, what kind of church do I want them to inherit? What kind of church do I want them to inherit? You know, yeah. what when they walk through the doors, uh, what do I want them to experience? And, and for me, at least a part of that is I want, I have a son too. I want our daughters to be welcomed in all of their gifting, all of their calling alongside my son. And um, so anyway, that to the, to the issue of motivation, I, I feel like there's, I'm glad to have a lot of sources of motivation. It's hard work writing a book, as you know, yeah. right? It's hard to do this work. I'm glad to have a lot of sources of motivation, justice, mission, the scriptures. But I think one of the main ones for me is this question of, yeah, what kind of church do I want my kids to inherit? And so, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I'm and I, that sparked another thought that I, I we getting back to the practicality piece for yeah. a, for team and team dynamics. And I'll say this again: I I say this to I want to keep complementarians at this table. I I I don't want you to just shut this this off and say that doesn't apply to me because I'm complementarian. Um, yeah. I would say even in a, a complementarian church. And, and and I I got like really really good friends of mine right that are complementarians I don't I don't know if they listen to my podcast or not but just this is um this, like I said this is like where I grew up in and so uh t- tons and tons of my network right is is in this world so I'm not throwing shade I'm trying to be helpful I'm trying to be helpful um if if Rob you and I are both white and we're both men and so if if you and I as white guys were sitting here and this happens certainly happens in politics. It happens in churches. If we were saying, we know what it's like to be black in America. We know what it's like. You and I, Rob, we are really, we're experts at knowing what it's like to be black in the United States, the black experience. We know all about it. And so as leaders, like you and I are leading an organization together. We're good to go. We're great. We can make decisions. Uh, and, and it's going to, It'll, it'll, it's gonna, we know that our, our organization is going to be great for, for black folks because you and I are experts on black people. Anyone would look at that and say, that's ridiculous. Like, no, you're not. You, you don't. Sure. And the black experience is so unique and it's riddled with injustice. And, and, and what you need, and again, corporate world is much better at this yep. than at least the evangelical church world is. Uh, you need black people, one, in the room, two, with authority to make decisions. You need representation and you need authority. And without it, you 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 will always be crippled. You will always be this sort of, I, I think of 1 Corinthians 12, the metaphor of the body uh, for the church. And, and when we don't, when we're just homogenous, when we don't uh, allow diversity into the room, we are a lopsided body. We're a deformed body. We're... We don't have all the parts or, or, or we're really strong on one leg and really weak on the other. And, and that produces a really unfortunate limp and, and cripple. It's, it's in fact, in fact, it's crippling. So, so back to this, it's, we, we do that so often with women where you'll, you'll, and again, I'm saying this to my complementarian brothers and, and maybe sisters, uh, but brothers are the ones calling the shots. Uh, You, you, you have to realize that when you have a group of men in a room, and usually in 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 my 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 network, it's white white men. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just say it. 
I, I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to be humble and go, you, you have one perspective represented, and it's of white men. I'm not villainizing white men. I'm not saying the perspective of white men isn't valid, but it is the perspective that has dominated all of American culture fr- from the beginning. So one, there's a justice issue there, but two, it's just practical. You don't know what it's like to be a woman. You don't. And so right. when when you're making decisions for women, you're shepherding women, you're pastoring women, you're overseeing women, I think you're being I don't know, foolish is just too strong of a word maybe because I'm trying to talk to my friends here. I don't think it's wise at all yeah. or helpful to your organization and the people you're shepherding to not have women right alongside you at that table, even if you have to... I, while, I, while I disagree, and I'm, I'm with you, Rob, I, I don't think the the wrong title you know the title should be equal as well and the pay and all but even if you you can't go there in your your world i, I just see way too many complementarian led churches where the women aren't even in the room the women the women yeah. aren't even being heard from so i get on these rants my audience is used to it uh, but <laughs> sometimes you no know, people ask me sometimes like you know if you want to be a man that empowers women uh what do you need to be thinking about, right? And I mean, a couple of things. So one would be, I think men need to, be, need to be doing their inner work, right? So there's a whole chapter in my book on gender brokenness is the term I use. And I know you've written on this too, but this idea that, you know, are we becoming um, all that God wants us to be as men? Um, and it sort of fits in the category for me of the Hippocratic Oath, right? First do no harm. Like, I think, I think if men want to be allies to women, important empower women, support women, First, we do our inner work. Second, like you're saying, we ask questions, we listen, and we learn because we don't know the answers. I think one of the great, I mean, I think I've been a discipled, I'll use that word, as a man to solve all the problems as quickly as possible. <laughs> that's right. And that's just how, I've, how yeah. I've been mentored, right, by whoever. And culture, society tells me I need to be that person. And so the problem is, if I don't understand the problem, I'm applying a fix that's not useful, right? So I tell men, do your inner work, take a learner's posture, right? And and listen and learn. And then the third thing I'd say is um, I've done some writing on what does it look like to be an ally to women? And I like that term ally because I think it's an umbrella term that covers, it can cover a number of different behaviors, right? So it might mean that there are times where I'm standing in solidarity with a woman who's been marginalized and abused in some way, or I can encourage women, I can sponsor, I can mentor women as an ally, and then I can be an advocate. And I think there's sometimes a, a danger downside to advocacy, but I could also be an advocate. So, so I think those are my thoughts about, you know, if, if men want to be a, a guy that empowers women, think about those three things, right? Like do your inner work, learner's posture, and then can you like take on this identity of an ally? Yeah, that's awesome. There's one more thing I want to get your thoughts yeah. on. It's it's just uh, something I I've, I was raised on, the, the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham huh? rule, some yeah. know it now as the Mike Pence rule, I think. Yep. Uh, and uh, just, you know, I mean, what is it? It's, it's, and I, as a man, and especially as a pastor, um, and, and I don't want to say this snarky at all. It's just because, again, uh, these are my friends. Yep. Um, as a man, I'll never, I'll never meet with a woman. I'll never meet with a woman, you know, one on one, ever. That's just not allowed. And so there has to be a third party, you know, present in the room. Um, 
because you know that's that's how affairs start. That's and, and so we're gonna we're gonna we don't want affairs, so that's gonna happen. Right. Uh, so um, just yeah, I'll let I'll let you start. I I definitely have some 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 thoughts on it. But honestly, I just took it at face value. My whole life as a pastor, and it really wasn't until Ruth, uh, in sitting under her leadership, that I saw the whole other side <laughs> to the yeah. Billy Graham rule and went, oh. Huh? I didn't. I didn't realize the fallout that was happening, and it really. Anyway, so I'll let I'll let you go with that, Rob. Yeah, thanks. Well, there's a whole chapter on this in the book too. I, Billy Graham rule um, has 75 years of history behind it. I was thinking about this the other day. Mm. The 40s, Billy Graham and his cohort, his leadership team gathered, and they said, "What What do we want? What rules do we want to govern our ministry?" And uh, I think the story goes, he, he tells the story Billy Graham does in one of his books is he sent each of the people off to their hotel rooms to make a list. They came back together and the lists like harmonized. It was one of those moments, right? And so the, the, there were multiple rules. One of them was uh, financial integrity. One of them was not inflating numbers. And then one of them with an eye towards evangelists who had you know, moral failures, one of them was this rule where Billy Graham was never going to be alone with a woman who wasn't his wife, and that's become enshrined policy, uh, you know, the, the global church. Sometimes I call it the 11th commandment. Um, a couple of things in my research about the Billy Graham rule. So um, number one, this came out again and again, the Billy Graham rule hasn't solved the problem. Yeah. Right. So we just need to admit that, I think, and acknowledge that. It, has it helped? I'm sure it has. But it hasn't solved the problem. And, you know, Me Too and Church Too uh, movements, I think, illustrate that, that we continue to be in a place where um, we've got to wrestle with this topic of women and men working together and what happens in those spaces. And the Billy Graham rule hasn't been a Band-Aid that's worked across the board. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, and I think this gets to um, Ruth Haley Barton's um, forward in my book, but there's been these unintended consequences of the Billy Graham rule. And these came out again in the research. So one would be, I'll give you some examples. One would be, I remember interviewing a woman who was supervising men in the organization. And I remember her saying to me, if we have a strict Billy Graham rule policy, I literally cannot do my job, right? If I can't be in the same physical space with someone I can't do my job. So that, I mean, that's an unintended consequence. Another one would be that it communicates often that women are threats. Yeah. Um, so a woman told me a story one time of one of her peers who said, we can't share a car driving across the upper peninsula of Michigan to this conference. We can't share a car together because of Billy Graham. Roll. And she told me that just made me feel like I was a danger to him. Mm -hmm. What a marginalizing experience yeah. that is. Right. Um, and I think on top of that, it, it systematically deprives women of agency and access, right? So if a woman can't be, like you were saying earlier, in the room where it happens, that's right. Hamilton reference, yep, right? That's right. That's a problem. Yeah. And then maybe one more, one more uh, unintended consequence for me is that I think the Billy Graham rule perpetuates the narrative that women and men can't control themselves. Yep. Um, you know, sexually, that that we're just unable to like work on that. And that's just not true. And you've written a book on that topic, right? We can yeah. press into that and we should press into that. Yeah. So anyway, all these unintended consequences, let me just end with, um, if not the Billy Graham rule, then what? And so one of the things that came out of my research was this idea of contextualized boundaries. So if men and women are working together in the context of ministry to say, who are we? What has our journey been like? Where are we at in terms of our 
you know, journey of recovering of wholeness, yeah. um, under brokenness. What's the culture in which our, our partnership is, is um, situated? And then what's the ministry context we serve in? And then add, add all that up and say, what makes sense for us, given who we are, given yeah. where we're situated? And, and I think what we do then is we say, let's make these, let's have these conversations. Now, Noah, this is, I'm sure listeners go, that conversation will be awkward. <laughs> and I think, absolutely, it'll be awkward. <laughs> It'll be awkward the first time, probably the second time, likely the third time. But by the 15th, 20th, 30th time, I think it might not be as awkward. I think one of the problems for us is that we haven't talked about things that matter. That's generally true in the church, I think, and specifically true around issues around sexuality and, you know, women in leadership and all of the things that we're talking about in this podcast. So I think one of the things I, I like to encourage people to do is to normalize that conversation it'll be awkward but you can do it right so anyway we have the conversation and then we move forward with whatever accountability and support we need from our communities and and we live into that as as a group i mean i'll just say one more thing the billy graham rule was articulated for a specific person unique circumstances right? and yeah time, right yeah. so echoes back to our first timothy two conversation a little bit rather than put that restrictive boundary on every ministry partnership for all time Let's take a contextualized approach, one that eliminates these unintended consequences. So mm, there's my good. there's my take on Billy Graham rule. I love it. The contextualization part is of boundaries is good because it's not you're not saying never have any boundaries ever. Yeah. Because right. and, and I think that's what a lot of people think. It's an either or sure. kind of thing, but it's contextualizing the boundaries. And again, it's like if you have two guys talking about what we think a woman thinks when this is in place, that's just not going to get it done. If you, yeah. you know, listeners, I would encourage you to get a copy of together in ministry and read what Ruth says. Cause she talks about the Billy, this, her, her own personal experience being the woman uh, in yeah. that, in that situation. And you go, and I've, I've heard her speak, you know, personally about it in our workshops our, or our retreats, I should say, not workshops. Um, and it's just this this very demeaning feeling and and where we we cast the woman as the Jezebel figure yeah. you can't be yeah. in the room you know with the woman and yeah. uh it just i mean i'd be repeating a lot of what you just said where but it just um it really and 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 she mentions i remember her talking about you know how do you how do you work your way up in a company you know you you just it's who you know. It's who you have conversations with. Sure. And so if all the men are the only ones having all of this sort of inside conversations, you know, that are happening to build those relationships with the with the superiors, they're going to get the raises. They're going to get to this. They're going to get to that. And just it's a it's a very it's a very compounding situation. And, yeah, I I agree that it does. not I, I think of a conversation I had recently in a, a group that disagreed, you know, on this. And I. Somebody was a Billy Graham, you know, rule. And I love what you just said. It was Billy Graham's rule. It's, it, doesn't, it was like, that might've been what he needed, uh, yeah, you yeah. know? Uh, but this guy, this friend no, of mine. No, I was, I was in a group one time, we were talking about this and um, someone looked at the other pa another pastor in the group and said, look, buddy, you're no Billy Graham, <laughs> right? Like, like, the, like it's, let's just realize with humility that yeah. we, that was a different time, different season. Right. Anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. But it just, we were, we were, I don't want to give too much of the details of this conversation, but um, just to, I don't want to expose who this friend of mine is, what whatnot, but uh, 
we were talking to a younger minister and and we were com- we had two different opinions you know on this and and my friend was was telling him you know he needed to follow the the Billy Graham rule and i again just practically speaking con- you have to figure out for your context what what works for you but there's no there's no reason that even i would give some obvious obvious things like you can't meet with a woman in a public coffee shop when when you text your wife and tell her where you are or yep. meet at the church in a lobby area again i i think you can go much much further than that that's very different than meeting in your hotel room or yep. meeting yep. in her home if yep. she invites you in you know it's like no let's let's not meet at your house let's meet yep. let's meet at the coffee shop anyway yep. there's just there's so many ways of really i think having the best of both worlds um mm-hmm. but again yeah there, there's so many bigger things coming out of this too where it's Oh man, I think about there there's a a woman on my staff who's in her 60s and uh it's kind of comical to me in a way. She's in her late 60s that in many churches we we wouldn't be able to meet one on one uh yeah, right. because she's a woman who is older mm-hmm. than my mother and mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, she's just so many crazy things. Yeah, but, yeah. And 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 we should probably just say, right, this is I'm sure listeners know this. Jesus didn't practice the Billy Graham rule, right? Yeah, so yeah. when Jesus is at the well in John 4, it's not like he says, now, Peter, I want one of you disciples stay back with me just to be here to keep this safe, right? No, they all go down to the town, whatever. So, so, so I think it's important to say that, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, well, Rob, anything, uh, not to put you on the hot seat, but anything you want to say to uh, listeners um, about Together in Ministry before we wrap up? Well, I mean, I just, it's been great to chat and I uh, really enjoyed the conversation for sure. I hope folks uh, pick this up, read it. I, I think what you said is right, Noah. So if even if you have a different theological perspective than I do, um, I think there's stuff in here for you to yeah. be thinking about. Um, and and certainly if you're an egalitarian, there's stuff for you to be thinking about here as well. But But I hope it's accessible to everyone and it will challenge you in a healthy way to empower women in your context and to create safe, I call them flourishing spaces where women and men can work together well. So the church needs it uh, for the sake of mission, for the sake of justice, for the sake of a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. So I, we'll pick it up. Awesome. Thanks so yep. much, Rob. We appreciate you coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. All right. Welcome back to the rest of the podcast. Another big thanks to Rob for coming on to the flip side. And I really do hope that that conversation with you stretched you and it challenged you. And again, if you're in a complementarian setting and and that's not going to change, I would really challenge you to think about some of the stuff we said, some of the stuff we talked about in ways that you can empower women much, much more than I I think the complementarian tradition has allowed uh, up to this point. So this is important stuff. And and, and I, I hope you got some of the the personal emotion uh, that how this affects people, how this affects women, how it affects the church. So, uh, yeah, it's challenging. I, and I, I approach it humbly. I, I hope you don't hear a sense of arrogance in me about this. I, I think there's a, it's a, <laughs> man, I love, I love what Rob said about the symphony of the Bible and the Bible. Whoo. It's great. It's great. But sometimes I go to God and I just go, <laughs> Could, could you have made a a little bit clearer, a little bit simpler? You know, could you could you have talked more about this? And why did you say that like that? 
there's this, there's so, and, 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 ah, uh, hermeneutics, hermeneutics. That's how we interpret the Bible. And it's, it's really important. And I just, uh, let's talk, let's talk. Hermeneutics is so good to do, you know, in community together. And so, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening and for allowing us to have that, that humble approach, uh, to this topic, to this conversation. So, uh, th- this is the time of the show where I try to tr- give you a little transition. You know, maybe maybe Rob decided that he was gonna he was gonna listen and just see how the podcast sounded, or maybe you're a friend or follower of Rob's and you said, "Oh, I want to hear that interview. I want to hear I want to hear what Rob had to say." On the flip side, I've never heard of this flip side before. Well, okay, this is a part of the show where. We uh, we we warn you. We play a little bit of a of an alarm, and that alarm is is meant. It's meant to warn you. It's meant to say, okay, hey, up to this point, listeners, the flip side has been serious. It's been stretching, challenging, spiritual, and for whatever reason, we have not yet figured it out. The host of the flip side decides at the end of these episodes to do a segment called Noah's Rant. And Noah's Rant, it, it is not spiritual. It is not mature. It is not serious. It is not challenging. It is not stretching. It is not any of the things that you've experienced, hopefully, up to this point on the podcast. And so for, for those of you who aren't prepared, you will listen to this and you will say, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would a pastor... Why would a pastor add Noah's rant on the end of a beautiful conversation with Rob Dixon? We have we we have not yet figured that out. We don't we still don't know why we do Noah's rant. Well, that's not true. We do Noah's rant to make the world a better place, which you'll find out you'll, will happen after by the time we're done. But this warning is for you. The, you you have to turn the episode off now. You you cannot listen further and not like what you hear because you won't like it and then blame me you're, you're gonna you're gonna email me and tell me it was stupid it wasn't funny it was immature it is completely your fault your responsibility if you keep listening because you've been warned you've been warned to stop stop listening uh this is this is your warning you you will not get another warning this is the this is the only warning that you get prior to listening to sponsored by angry brew that all rhymed I should, I should be a rapper. Noah's Rant. Noah's Rant. All right, all right, all right. This is an important rant today. This is an important rant. See, I, I am a pastor. Did you know that? I am a reverend. And as a reverend, as an esteemed reverend, I often get asked by young, engaged couples who are hopelessly in love, that I would officiate their wedding. And, and because of that, I attend many, many, many weddings, always in full joy of being there and getting to put on my penguin suit and get in front of the crowd and pronounce this uh, bride and groom, husband and wife, for the very first time, 
Mr. and Mrs., and, and, and you get the idea. So many, many weddings, let alone I remember being in my 20s uh, and just being invited to many, many, many weddings from college friends and the like. I have been to many weddings. Let me just say that. I've been to more weddings than you. Let me just say that. I've been to many. I am an expert when it comes to attending weddings. Now, there is a, there is a part of the wedding uh, uh, reception. First of all, let me say this. This is not the rant. But whoever decided to call the rehearsal the reception and the recital, which is not a wedding, but it is a very confusing word, all starting with re. I can never, ever say rehearsal or reception correctly without mixing them up or saying recital at some point. So whoever invented those words for these things, you have a rant. You you need a rant. You need a rant. Toward, but let's get beyond that. I'm going to try to get beyond that. Okay, at a wedding rehearsal. No. <laughs> at a wedding reception. At a wedding reception, uh, people will start sitting down and you start to hear this. This isn't a very good sound because I don't, I'm using a water glass, but you get the idea. You start to hear something that sounds like this. There we go. That sounds a little better, a little better. And you go, ha, huh, what is that really annoying sound going on? I'm, I'm trying to have conversation with people at my table that I don't know. And it's really awkward. And we're asking each other really awkward questions. And I kind of wish I wasn't here right now. But if someone's banging on their glass really loud with a fork and everyone else starts doing it too. And it's a cacophony of sound i love that word a cacophony of sound of people banging on their their champagne glasses or if you're baptist on their sparkling grape juice glasses with their forks and next thing you know the i'm trying to think of a adverb or adjective i'm allowed to use on the flip side um the i feel like saying the freaking is just not great because it's just you know it's just, it's just even for Noah's rant standards. So let, let's just let's just go with the the bride and groom. We'll just go with we'll skip the adjective. The bride and groom start making out in front of everyone. It's gross. It's gross. Listen. I already had to do the whole, oh, you may now kiss the bride in, in front of everybody and you smoochy smooch in front of my face for 15 seconds. It's like, look, th that's enough. That's plenty. You got the job done. Now every someone's banging on their glass with a fork and I'm, I'm just trying to eat my salad and get through this awkward get-to-know-you conversation with your in-laws and you're sitting there making out in front of me. I don't want to see that. I literally do not want to see you two making out. I don't. I, I have no interest in that. If you're watching a movie, snuggled up on your couch, cute little engaged couple, dating couple, you can't keep your hands off each other, you're making out with each other, I don't want to see that. I don't want you to record it and send it to me. I, I don't want... I don't want to walk in and say, ew, gross, you're making out with each other. I don't want to see that. 
I just want to sit and watch this movie. If I were watching the movie with you as your friend and we're sitting on the couch together and the next thing I know you two start making out, that's gross. Stop doing that. If we were out to dinner together and uh, someone bang their fork against a glass accidentally and you start making out at this restaurant, that's gross. These are not socially acceptable things to do. That is a private act. It's an intimate act. You should only be doing that in private, not in front of me. Why is it then at a wedding that when I'm trying to just eat a meal and get through really awkward small talk with people I've never met and that I'll never see again, every time that I, first I have to hear this sound in my ear, which is enough to give me a migraine in and of itself, you two start smooching each other, not even little smooches, big, drawn-out smooches, lots of smooch, lots of tongue, lots of just all kinds of... You're your mother and father are in the room with you. They are they are watching you. I don't care that you're husband and wife. My wife and I don't make out in front of people. We don't do that. Why are you doing that? Why is it that throughout the dinner, it th- this sound will happen 50 times, 50 times in the length of one dinner? You know what I do during receptions? I purposely sit always with my back to the husband, the bride, and the groom, so I don't have to sit there watching you nasty make-out session for the whole reception. The thing that I don't get is people love this. People clap, and they cheer, and they applaud, and they want more, and they want more, and I just go, look, what is up with this ravenous crowd? You you, you came to a wedding to watch the bride and groom make out? That's gross. That's gross. That's gross. Gross. So next time you're at a wedding, I want you to remember Noah's rant. I want you to remember that it's gross. And if you're one of the people that is banging on the glass, stop it. Stop. When when someone starts it, you go to that person and you say, listen, I have a podcast you need to listen to. It's the Flipside Podcast with Noah Filippiak. There's like 20 podcasts called The Flipside, so make sure you type in his name as well. And and look, you got to fast forward to the end, listen to Noah's rant, and there's a message in there for you. There's a message for you. It's just, You need to listen to it, and you need to stop banging on that glass because it's gross. I don't want to, I don't, it's gross. I don't want to see them kiss. I don't want to see them kiss. Stop. I don't want to eat, I, I just want to eat my dinner, and uh, and I, w- I want to go home. That's what we're, we're going to dance. We're going to dance the night away. That's fine. We're going to have a good time. I don't want to see them smooching. Listen to Noah's rant. That's the moral of the story. Noah's rant exists to make the world a better place. It really does. And, and we've done that. I know that uh, the, 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 the amount of people in, in the United States that listen uh, to this podcast, it, it's enough that at, I think at the next wedding you go to, uh, there there will not be people banging on glasses because they've listened. They've listened to Noah's rant, and that that really is what we're about here. We we don't do Noah's rant for our own fun. It's not it's not fun to to rant and rant and rant about all the problems in the world, uh, but we we do it to be servants. We do it to make the world a better place. And I, I, we've done that. We have done that today. We have made the world a better place. So thank you. Thank you for listening. This wraps up Noah's Rant. It wraps up episode 58 of the Flipside 
pick up a copy of Rob Dixon's book together in ministry, head over to the iTunes podcast app or Apple podcast, whatever it's called, leave a review, win yourself some swag, and I will see you next time on The Flip Side. The Flip Side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak, www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Then I hope you see him clearly. Raise him, raise him, raise him. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your daisies.